Worth repeating is made possible by the 8020 Foundation, Real Ale Brewing Company, Texas A&M University, San Antonio, and Do210.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the season premiere of the Worth Repeating podcast. My name is Tori Poole. The stories in this episode were recorded live at Texas Public Radio. The theme for this event was Awkward, stories about chagrin, regret, and being in between. Our first storyteller is Edward Guadalupe Acuna Lucio Cody Jr., Edward shares his story about how a webworm found a new home and the chungla that set him straight. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Glad to see everybody. This doesn't count for my seven minutes. Don't start. You know, there's one thing that I really don't enjoy or didn't enjoy about visiting my abuelos in Corpus Christi. The heat, man, it gets hot down there on the coast. And they only had one fan. And, and that fan, usually my abuela had it. Because she, she took it in the kitchen where she was always working, you know. You know how abuelas are, right? She'd do that masa for tonight's tortillas. Mmm, delicious. Well, my abuela was a beautiful woman. She had these fiery, dancing brown eyes right in the middle of that caramel-colored complexion, flawless. And a widow's peak right up the middle of her India ink hair. Gorgeous, beautiful woman. All the comadres hated her because <laughs> she looked so good, you know? And the other reason they hated her was because she really knew how to give out chancla justice. <laughs> oh, man. Now, my abuelo, he was totally different from la abuela. He was short, he was slightly built, and he seemed much, much older than her. Okay, but, you know, she married him, so that's okay. <laughs> well, my willow's complexion, though, belied his Tex-Mex heritage and his position here on La Dicinueve. He was as white as the guys that he worked for down at Swanter and Gordon. That's an insurance office, and he was the janitor. And he'd take me with him sometime. So when we'd go, the, it was hot, so hot. And I'd say, Willow, it's hot. And he'd say, see, mijo, there's those ways no, no, no tienen vergüenza. They turn off that air conditioner to save money. They don't worry about me. But you know what? It's okay. Because Welo had figured out how to turn it back on. <laughs> well, the office there <clears throat> was a beautiful, exciting place for a young man to be. The owners went to Africa every year on safari. And what they had done is they had decorated the whole place with their prized trophies. There were tigers, there were hyenas, water buffalo, anything you could think of all on the wall. And they had even a pair of elephant legs 
that had become the basis for a coffee table. Man. <laughs> so that was what I did. I pretended to be the brown hunter in the Serengeti. <laughs> While my wella did the work of emptying the trash and, you know, vacuuming and all that. It was just amazing what we did. The other thing about that office that was wonderful, they had the founder's pictures on the wall. Good, you know, nice-looking gentleman with suits and all, and I always wondered, you know, if you put a suit on my abuelo, he would look just like them. Why are they rich? And why is he the janitor? Who decides these things? Imagine a little kid thinking that, you know. So, as I go in the kitchen to talk to Wella, and I look out the door, I see my Wello. He's out in the, in the back there of the yard under the china berry tree. He's wanting to escape the heat and the kitchen where my Wella rules. So he goes out there and turns on the radio and listens to his favorite, Los Yankees. <laughs> so I tell my Wella, Wella, I'm going to go outside and see what Wello's doing. So I head to the door, and I just throw it open and head out, and boom, it hits hard. You remember that. And I hear my abuela, huerco jodido. <laughs> so I just smile and laugh and head on out there. And so there's my abuelo. And I get up on him, and he is snoring. <laughs> He could snore, I swear. Those notes of his were high and low and all over the place, reminded me of the Chicharra song. <laughs> I loved it, I was just amazed watching him. How could all these events come to a confluence and come out as this wonderful snore? You know, if there was a contest, I could enter my vuelo. He would be the champion of 19th Street. Or, even better, the champion of the whole world, just like his Yankees. <laughs> so there we were. Well, I was watching him and thinking, wow, what's going on? Well, next moment I see a webworm coming down from the tree. Just coming down from the tree. And I'm going, wow. I think that webworm is wanting to challenge my wellow's snoring. Because, you know, the webworms had taken over the neighborhood. And when they do that, man, it looks like cotton candy in all the trees, right? Yeah. But my Wello, he had designated himself as a champion for the neighborhood. He came up with a flamethrower. He took an old fleet insect. Some of you may be old enough to remember that. And he would fill the bottom when he was ready. When he was ready to go out there and get rid of those webworms, he'd fill the bottom with gasoline. Wow. <laughs> and every once in a while, when I would go with him, he would let me help him. Just a week or so back when we'd gone out there, he let me not just light the rag on the end, but pump the thing too. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. <laughs> Those worms <laughs> falling down. It was crazy. Wella said to him, Viejo pendejo, 
lo vas a matar a Junior. <laughs> he started taking off because he knew what was coming next, okay? Yeah. She reaches for her chancla and, whoa, smacks him because he couldn't get out of the way. Man, that can't be seven minutes. So we keep going. <laughs> we, keep, we keep going. So here's the next thing. I'm going to fast forward a little bit because it sounded like almost seven minutes, right? Anyway, I was in the back. I couldn't hear it. So anyway, <clears throat> I see the webworm. He's coming down. All of a sudden, he decides to go back up. And I'm thinking, no, man. Come on, little guy. Stay, stay, stay and fight. Okay? But no, he didn't listen. He's still going up the web. So I just grab him real quick. And in one swift movement, whoosh, I throw him over Edwello's gaping mouth. Oh. And it lands. And my poor Wello, <laughs> he just fell over the side of his chair like a great ship going down from a kamikaze attack. Whoa. So I'm all excited. Yay, webworms. Yay, webworms. Well, he jumps up. <laughs> and he's coughing. And <laughs> he manages to spit it out. That little worm is just tumbling through the air, and he's covered with all kinds of stuff, spit and phlegm and other unidentifiable liquids. Man. Well, Wello jumps up, and with his right foot, boom. He smashes the worm. But he looks so pitiful, my Wello got spit on him, and his eyes are red, and there's stuff coming down his chest. We don't even know what it is. And all of us, at that moment, I felt so bad that I had abandoned him and gotten over the webworm side. Oh, man. So, went to the dark side, yes, yes. But that's okay because all of a sudden, sus! I feel the sensation of a chancla on my nalgas. Whoa! <laughs> Well, I had apparently been at the, at the kitchen door looking out, and she saw the whole attack of the webworms. And I was, whoa. And then again, sus, a second hit on my buttocks. So at that point, I started running like Joe Pepitone rounding third to avoid the next chancla justice. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. The next storyteller is Marta Zapata. Marta shares her story about how one wrong piece of information can throw you off course, but determination can lead you back to where you belong. All right, hi everybody. I'm gonna try to follow that, but it's gonna be a little bit hard, so. Um, I'm in ELL, so bear with me. For the ones that don't know what an ELL means, is that I'm an English language learner, so I have my cheat sheet right here with me. So. <laughs> uh, well, uh, growing up, I was the type of person uh, that loved school so much. I know I was a little bit crazy, <laughs> and still am because I still love school very much. Uh, for instance, I never had a B in Mexico in my school career over there. Uh, I was always an A honor student. 
um, I never considered myself like a bookworm or anything like that. But um, I just guess I had, you know, good memory and could absorb information easily. So therefore, I, you know, my aspirations were a little bit high. And I always dreamed of, you know, going to university, uh, having a professional career, you know, and, and be successful or whatever that meant, you know, successful man. <laughs> so, um, but I do would like to point out that um, I do come from a family of a very determined woman. For instance, uh, my grandmother became an orphan at, in, at age six. Yeah, very young. So ever since then, she had to work really, really hard to uh, first find a place to live and provide for herself, and then eventually, when she became an adult, to um, provide for her seven children. So um, at one point, uh, she was when she was an, already an adult, she was working at a factory in Mexico, and uh, one, uh, one of her, her fellow uh, friends at the uh, work factory told her to, to enroll in, a, in this raffle because they were going to uh, raffle an apartment. She thought she was never going to have a chance or anything like that, but nevertheless, she, she you know, uh, noted herself and, you know, in the, in the book, and, and to her surprise, she won the raffle. So um, that was just, uh, a, you know, a, p a turning point for her. Eventually, um, you know, my grandmother being an entrepreneur woman, she uh, set up a convenience store in one of the rooms in the, in the new apartment that was facing the street. And she uh, was, you know, r running the store simultaneously uh, as when she was working at the factory. So it was, it was a hassle, but her, you know, her daughters and, and which my aunts, <laughs> they helped her. So it was a little bit easier, but then eventually that, um, business bloom and she was able to quit her job and dedicated herself to to that you know uh, convenience store and as I was growing up I was able to help her a little bit more at the, at the convenience store and that was just one tale of survival uh, that happened among my family but my tale of survival started when I came here to the US as a newcomer I um, wanted to, of course, learn English and to continue my education because, uh, you know, like I said, I wanted to fulfill my dream. But I didn't know anything about how the educational system worked here in the U.S. or, you know, how to even start. But nevertheless, I uh, stayed in high school for two years. And as I was learning a little bit English, I was able to express myself uh, a bit more in I started expressing to a couple of friends or people that I thought I, were my friends my desire to to go to college and to continue my education. But that's when I uh, I uh, started, you know, noticing bad comments that discouraged me greatly. One of them was well, the first thing they asked me, which I thought it was weird at the begin at that moment. Um, they were like, "Well, do you even have a social security number?" <laughs> and I was like. Uh, Nope, <laughs> I, I didn't even know what that was, so I was like, no. <laughs> so um, they were like, oh, okay, then you can go to college. I mean, you, you, you can just probably finish high school, but that's it, you can't, you can't do that. But um, at, at the moment, I never actually thought much about it because I was like, oh, they're young like me, you know, they don't know much about it either, probably, so they're just probably lying. So later on, I, you know, uh, I wanted to consult to, you know, adult people about it because 
that stuck kind of like with me. You know, I didn't say much, but it kind of stuck with me. So um, to my surprise, uh, older people told me, oh, no, honey, if you don't have a social security number, you can go to college. If at the max, you could probably work at McDonald's or something like that, or maybe clean houses, but that's it. So that was a very huge disappointment for me because I thought that, you know, everything that had, I had done until that point was for nothing. So that discouraged me greatly. So um, when I found out that, you know, uh, I wasn't going to have, you know, a chance to actually fulfill my dream of, you know, becoming a professional, it was like, well, then screw this. <laughs> I'm leaving high school. So I dropped out of high school. And then I pursue my second dream goal that I had, which was to become um, a mom and to have a family of my own. So I got married and then I have four children. And while working at jobs here and there, try to provide, you know, for my family and everything, um, I involved myself in, in my, edu uh, my children's education as much as I could. You know, I was the type of mom that was always in like the PTO meetings and, and activities and events and helping, volunteering, you know, well, you name it, I was there. So my children became my driving force. But fast forward 10 years later, I completed, I completed all the requirements for my GD. I got my GD. And then um, later on, I was able to obtain my social security number. And guess what? I did, the first, you know, as soon as I got it. I enrolled in college, <laughs> so in a community college, yes. Um, thank you. Well, uh, in college, I was in my third semester when uh, one of my friends shared with me that she didn't have a social security number, but this is in my third semester, right? So <laughs> uh, later on the same day, a teacher shared that in order to attend college or university in the, in the US, you don't have to have a social security number. So, <laughs> exactly, I just froze. <laughs> I froze and, and I, I mean, literally it took me a minute to react. I, I was just like flabbergasted, you know, my jaw dropped and I was like, what? <laughs> so, uh, that was definitely a very awkward moment for me because I, I didn't even know what, what to do. So, but you know, all, at that moment, everything started coming to my mind, you know, like all those memories, if I had known this before, you know, why did people this, um, you know, told me this or misguided me on purpose. So I wonder how cruel someone had to be in order to do that, you know? But um, anyways, many things were going through my mind at that moment, but nonetheless, what stuck with me that if I just had known that information at the time when I needed it, you know, who could have known? Like I could have spent all that time studying, not dropping out of high school, but going to college instead. And, um, but um, needless to say, so I finished um, uh, my university career. I graduated at UTSA with a bachelor's degree. Now, now in the middle of my master's, um, I'm, I, I like to advocate for immigrants' uh, rights, and I like to uh, spend my time educating people and, and helping others uh, with the process of, of college you know, applications and scholarships and things like that. So. That's what I do. <laughs> Thank you.
The next storyteller is Raquel Cataldo. Raquel shares her story about how, like most things in life, you can't really trust the wrapping, no matter how pretty the packaging. Good evening. Can you hear me okay? I think it's the right height. So I was born in South Texas on a border city, and my dad was a, a mason, but he learned to lay bricks since he was eight years old, working alongside his dad, and he became a master of carpentry, everything. And so this man came to our hometown to start and build a new district, and he heard about this you know, really great man, and he wanted someone to get help him out in the school district, and he offered my dad a job as a janitor to also help support the building. So my dad was a lot of us, and he needed insurance, so he took the job. And uh, Mr. Brantley, the superintendent, you know, really saw my dad's work ethic and what he knew and was very impressed by it. So he said, you know, I would like for you to become a building trades teacher in our district, and I want you to First project is you're going to build a house on school property with your high school students. So my dad did it. And um, that house, he said, I'd like for your family to live in. He said, because I want your kids to go to the good schools. So uh, we lived in a little house on school property in the nice neighborhood in my hometown. So um, across the street moved in this family, the Newtons, the nicest lady. And she had two young girls. And they were younger than me, but they were super friendly. And it was August, and it was you know close to my birthday. And so naturally, the kind thing to do was to invite them. So I did, and they came to my birthday party. And the Newtons were living in this nice house, but they were kind of wealthy. And so they were building this super nice house somewhere else. So they were like in an interim stage. And so I, uh, they came to the birthday party, and they came with the most beautiful birthday gift that I had ever seen. I mean, it was from a fancy department store in my hometown. They had this beautiful paper and this gorgeous bow. And then you know those, they used to have these labels from the department store, a gold label. So I was super excited and I wanted to open that gift and I couldn't wait. So uh, time to open presents. I was so thrilled and I, to this day, I really wish, hope rather, that my expression when I opened the gift that it doesn't show what I really felt. <laughs> because I opened that gift and out came the ugliest pantsuit that I had ever seen. And when I went to school in fourth grade, girls couldn't wear pants unless it was a pantsuit. And so the pants were black kind of, you know, uh, bell-bottom legs with black with yellow, red, and white flowers and a little lace trim at the bottom. <laughs> The, uh, the, the blouse had the matching the pants here, but really cool effect, yellow opposing on the body, and the same kind of colors, and then just to give it the perfect touch, it had a red belted satin little belt. I mean, thank you, and I hope I was polite, I don't remember, but that outfit went directly to the back of the closet, never to be seen or worn again. Well, school was about to start, but the Newton girls invited me to their house to play, and I thought, Mom said I could, and I went over there, and she said, oh, no, mija, get back in there and put that outfit on. <laughs> que, que pena that Miss Newton would think that you didn't appreciate it. I'm like, Mom, 
please. I was in fourth grade, mom went out, so there I go, put the outfit on, go to play at the girl's house. Seemed a little too fancy for the occasion, but, but I had to go with it. So I go, it was about three o'clock in the afternoon. So fast forward, it's now Halloween, and in those days, kids could wear costumes to school. And uh, I wasn't wearing a costume, I was just gonna go, and mom said, que pena, once again, that Miss Newton would think you don't appreciate this outfit. You better wear it. You're having a party today. I'm like, mother, por favor. And she's like, get in there. So I go in there and I put on this outfit and I go to school begrudgingly, passing right in front of Ms. Newton's house on the way to school. Luckily, I was really close to the campus because I was on school property. And, um, <laughs> and I got to school quickly. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, they had a party, and the principal, Mr. Herrera, would stand in the middle, and all the kids would parade around with costume. When I didn't have a costume, I'm standing to the side, and this girl with this adorable uh, pumpkin costume, her name was Claudia, I'll never forget her or forgive her. <laughs> she says, get in here, you could be a clown. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. I could not run home fast enough. And so, I was so angry, it went further into the closet, and that was it, I was done with it. So now um, that fancy department store, my grandmother was poor, but she prided herself in taking care of her little money and she got her little credit card from that store. But she only shopped there for very special occasions. And uh, for, you know, it had to be a special gift and all that. And my mom, and she would go shopping uh, at that department store. You know, it was a Saturday thing before the malls, right? And so she went down there and they're in that department store looking around, they said, let's look at the girls' department. So they go down there and my, she says, Mama, Raquel wore this outfit to school. Look at it. And she's like confused. And they're looking at it and checking things out. Here comes a sales lady and she says, Senorita, son pijamas. <laughs> so the sales lady says, uh, Si, son pijamas. At that point, my mother and my grandmother are losing it in the department store. I mean, bent over crying, the sales ladies are like, these ladies are weird. And, and so she says, um, yeah, see, some curiosas los pajamas, there are funny pajamas, and they're like, no, that's not the funny part. The funny part is my daughter wore these to school. And then, then, so now the sales lady's laughing, right? And everybody's having a good old laugh at my expense. I'm at home, you know, I don't know anything that's going on. My mother probably got a speeding ticket that day coming home because she could not wait to gather all six kids and tell everybody how I wore pajamas to school. And so, oh my God, I wanted to die. To this day, that's kind of a family joke. Remember when Raquel wore pajamas, ha ha ha, you know? And, uh, but you know, all these years, I have wished that I would never see Miss Newton. I mean, what must that woman be thinking? You know, and I'm thinking, I was at your house at three. Could you have called my mother, you know? And, uh, but no, but today, I wish I do run into Miss Newton. I wanna clear my good name. I knew there was something wrong with that outfit. No chance, I haven't seen her yet. <laughs> Thank you.
Our next storyteller is Mitzi Moore. Mitzi shares her story about how a high school crush lived up to his name. I um, am sort of an expert on the theme here today, the theme of awkward, because I was a high school and middle school teacher for 34 years. I have witnessed a lot of awkward, I'm retired now, Um, but I know there are some of my former students in the audience. I don't want you to worry, the story is not about you. Instead, you're safe. It's a story about my awkward adolescence, you see, when I was 14, as most of us are, I was, I was pretty awkward. My family had just moved to the city, to Austin, and I knew about two people on the first day of school. And I was chubby, and I had glasses, and I had stringy hair, which was not cute in the 80s. And anyway, um, where was I going? Oh, I also did not really know how to dress. Um, despite spending many hours with fashion magazines. And one thing you need to know about me, when I was a freshman in high school, I was extremely boy crazy. And sadly, they never liked me back. So, but it, it was okay. I spent the year making friends. I was in the junior varsity marching band. And it was, honestly, it was a pretty good year because I knew, you know, who I was. At the end of the year, all of my friends decided to try out for the dance team because the dance team at this school was a really big deal. There were 90 girls in the dance team. And when they lined up to do a high kick, they stretched from the 10-yard line to the other 10-yard line. So it was a big deal to be part of this group. And it wasn't really in my plans because my plans were to go and be in the varsity marching band. The varsity marching band at the school was really, really good. They won the state championship first place with their routine using the, the music from Dallas, the TV show. They actually spelled out J-R and shot him. So I wanted to be part of that. But I decided to try out for the dance team because all my friends were doing that. It seemed like fun. And I tried out and I made it. And so did most of them. So that was fun. Over the summer, I had a little bit of a a glow up, as they say. I lost 15 pounds, I got contact lenses, and I got to go to school wearing the cute little uniform that was yellow and had brown rickrack, and we had sewn it ourselves. But I think we wore it with brown suede saddle shoes. But it it was still a mark of status to wear that weird little uniform to school. And all of a sudden, boys started paying attention to me. Not the cute boys, but boys. (laughs) And I started to take a few social risks that year. I went to a dance all by myself. I was certain my friend would change her mind and go, but no, she stuck by her guns and I went by myself and I had fun. So later in the year, it came time for the dance team to have their banquet and dance. And at the time, I had a crush on this guy whose name was Chris. And Chris was tall, dark, and handsome. He played basketball. He had floppy hair and tight jeans. And he was in the yearbook the year before under the words, most popular freshman boy. Clearly out of my league. But 
His locker was near mine, and we would talk to each other every day. He would smile. He was super friendly. That's why he was the most popular. And we'd talk about the football game or the weather or whatever. And I said, I really like this guy. I'm going to ask him to the banquet. So one day I get my nerve up. I, we're at the lockers. I say, hey, Chris, you know this uh, dance team banquet that's coming up? Do you want to go with me? And he said, sure. What's your name? <sighs> so I told him my name, and I gave him my number. And wouldn't you know it, later in the week, he called me, and something had suddenly come up. Just like in the Brady Bunch with Marsha. But it's OK, because I went to the banquet with a senior who had his own truck. Thank you. And we had fun. And at the end of that year, I moved to a different town altogether. We moved to San Antonio. And at my new school, I joined the dance team there, too. And it was fine. The next year, my senior year, our basketball team was really, really good. And they went to the state championship tournament, which was in Austin. So we, to support them, we put on our matching sweatsuits with our name embroidered on the front. And we went to Austin in this big place at UT somewhere. And we were playing, not my old school, but we were playing a different Austin school. And this guy comes up. And he says, hey, come here. And I said, oh, I recognize this guy. He's my friend Penny's ex-boyfriend. He goes to the school that we're playing. So I walk across the aisle, and we have a little chat for like five or 10 minutes. And back in the days before social media, people used to exchange wallet photos. Do you remember those days, some of you? He asked me if I had a photo. And I said, well, let me check. And I look at my wallet. I did have one of my senior pictures. I gave it to him. We said goodbye. He left. I got back on the bus and I realized it wasn't who I thought it was. That was Chris. It was the guy that didn't know my name. He came up to me and he asked me for a picture and he knows my name now. But in the meantime, I never saw him again, never talked to him again. But at my new school, I did meet this other guy named Chris, also tall, dark, and handsome, also popular also athletic, and that relationship worked out better because today we have four grandchildren. <laughs> this has been the Worth Repeating Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Worth Repeating is made possible by the 8020 Foundation, Real Ale Brewing Company, and Texas A&M University San Antonio. Join us for the next live event on October 18th, Ghosted, stories about ghosts or being ghosted. Share your spookiest stories about the paranormal or that one time someone ghosted you and still haunts your DMs. Submit your stories at tpr.org backslash WR. Your stories are worth repeating. This has been the Worth Repeating Podcast.